Today our subject is worship. That's a very spiritual word, isn't it? Worship. wonder what worship is about. Actually, um, the whole of the Bible is about worship. Um, I would say this, all of life is about worship. You may not think you're a particularly religious person, but I'm gar- I guarantee you, you're worshipping all the time. Because everybody always worships. Life is about worship. And basically, at all times, people are worshipping something. Right. We'll talk about that, what that means. But do you believe that? Do you, yeah. Are we always worshipping something? Ah, good. One worshipper. Thank you. The word worship means something like to give worth to. In fact, the old English word was worship. Okay? Uh, you give worth to something by generally serving it. And also there's kind of a belief that if you serve it, you'll get something back from it. Okay? Uh, it carries the idea of worthiness. Uh, someone who's worthy, maybe a judge or something, might be called your worship. You've heard that. So you are worthy of something. You carry something good. Now, in the, in the Bible, both the Old and New Testament, the word worship means uh, probably two main things, which are fairly simple. Number one, to serve. You worship something, you serve it. And secondly, to bow down. You bow down before something. You often, uh, you'll find that you often end up on your knees before the thing that you worship in some form. Um, that's just a reality. Um, the Bible also tells us in some ways there's a place in Isaiah where it's a bit humorous. It says, the thing that you worship, you end up becoming like. And people say, if you worship the biscuit barrel, you end up looking like the biscuit barrel. Anyway, uh, that's completely in the side. But, um, it, okay. Whatever you worship, you will serve. Whatever you worship, you will give your time to, you will give your thoughts to, you will give kind of your fascination, that kind of fascinating love feeling you get when you've got that new thing to worship, whatever it might be. Okay? And um, often it will cause you uh, to give less worship or time. No, go and sit down. Go and sit down. You'll give less to other things than you should. That's why your wife will remind you when you're worshipping something more than you should be serving her, perhaps, if you're a husband. That wouldn't happen, of course. But, okay. Do you notice here, I didn't say, so worship is singing in church. Well, it is. Coming to church and singing in church is part of worship. That's true. It's a small part of worship because worship is all of life. Um, Worship is more than what happens on a Sunday. Do you get that? You are always worshipping. Okay. So, what you worship, you'll put your love, your energy, your thoughts, your hopes. You'll naturally serve. And... The thing that you worship, you believe, will give you something. It might give you pleasure. 
It might give you satisfaction. It might give you joy or peace or meaning or security or a future or excitement or life. You get that. You know that feeling. Right. God is the creator of all things. He made everything. He made us. He is the king of kings. He rules over everything. He is altogether glorious and wonderful beyond anything we can imagine. Okay? God alone is worthy of our worship. Do you get that? He alone is worthy of our praise. He alone is God. The Bible says over and over again, there is none like him. Who is like the Lord? No one. So who is the only one who really should be worshipped? God. That's right. When Jesus says, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, uh, this is the greatest and first, first of the great and first commandment, He's saying God alone is worthy of all of those things that you give. Uh, In a sense, he was showing the positive side of the beginning of the Ten Commandments because the Ten Commandments are kind of the shout nots, but they've got a positive side, don't they? And the the Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments, God uh, starts like this with the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. That's number one. That's pretty plain, isn't it? And that's about worship, because commandment number two says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness or anything that is in heaven or above or is in the earth beneath, all that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. In other words, you shall not worship or serve anything other than God himself, because he alone is God. So that's the negative side. Don't worship these things to the positive side where Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind and strength. That's the first commandment. Because God alone is worthy of worship. So to worship anything but God is actually sin. Yep. I'm not talking about honouring because the Bible tells us to honour our children, tells us to honour our bosses, to honour our parents, to honour creation, to honour all sorts of things. It just doesn't say worship them. Okay? Honour them, give them the respect that they deserve, but that is not worship. Okay? So we worship God alone. Now, I started by saying that all people are worshipping all the time, that life is about worship. What life becomes, as the Bible goes on, is what we might say... A battle for worship. There is a battle for worship. Satan wants worship. Do you know that Satan wants to be worshipped? Yep. Okay. And Satan says to Adam and Eve, if you eat this fruit, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. So what's he saying? Basically, Adam and Eve... You're going to get more than what you've got. More pleasure, more joy, more love, more fulfilment, more contentment, more whatever. You're going to get more. Life will be more pleasurable if you worship something apart from God. They were created in the image of God, but you can be better than that. 
You're going to be better than the image of God. You're going you're gonna to have, well, live your best you if you worship something apart from God. You're going to have your own hopes and dreams and glory apart from God. In other words, really what, that, what, what the devil was saying, life will be better for you if you worship yourself above God. Right? Because at the heart of evil worship is really selfishness. And Satan comes to Jesus similarly when Jesus is in the desert, that what they call the temptation of Jesus. It says in Matthew 4, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all of these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Okay. Big words, aren't they? You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So the Bible has a name for anything that you worship which is not God. That's idolatry. Now often in the Bible these idols were gods of some sort. You know, false gods, gods of other, or physical things that they shoved in the corner and worship was often those sort of things, icons or things that people put their hope and trust in. In the, in the, in the age of Abraham, most people had in their, in their house a kind of a cupboard thing and they had trinkets in it, a bit like what your kids might collect when they find a broken piece of pottery and a nice shiny rock and a red rock and blah, blah, blah. And they would put their hope in them and they would have their good ones and they would go to their good one and say, oh, bowing before it, maybe bringing a gift, may it rain today. But the good, their favourite idols, they probably only asked that when there were storm clouds in the, uh, in the West. <laughs> just, but really it was just superstitious. It was just junk. That sort of idolatry. Also, people put their trust or sought guidance from some objects rather than seeking guidance from God. Um, and they would bow down and worship these things. But is idolatry, this is my question, is it only when you worship some false god? Is it only when you become a Buddhist or a Muslim or a Hindu or something like that? Is that all that idolatry is? In um, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 6, the whole chapter Paul is speaking about idolatry and he says this in verse 6. He's talking also about the people in the desert and he says... Now these people took plate, this, sorry, this, the, the people of God in the desert in uh, Moses' time. These t- things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. They worshipped the golden calf and stuff like that. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did and 23,000 of them died in a single day. Okay, can you see there he says, don't do idolatry as they did because they were eating and drinking and rising up to play, kind of partying, that's what that means, and indulging in sexual immorality. So he's saying, 
Idolatry includes these things. Okay. Also, I'll come back to that in a minute. And in Romans 1, Paul talks about the horrible effects of sin and he shows what their sin leads to. And he says this in verse 24. Therefore God gave people over to their lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonouring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. They worship the creature instead of the creator. That's idolatry, isn't it? Yep. When you worship anything that's not God, it's idolatry. Now, these things show us that humans actually worship all manner of things. They seek all sorts of things for their pleasure and hope and joy and they put their trust in things and they give their thoughts and their loves to so many things. John Calvin said, the human heart is, is a perpetual idol factory. Our hearts are like factories that are always building something new to worship. Now, some of the things listed, we said, are obviously sinful. Sexual immorality, that's sinful, isn't it? But it said eating. Is, is eating a sin? No, no. Can it be? Well, it can be, yeah. Is drinking a sin? It says drinking. Is drinking, probably talking about alcohol there, let's be serious. Is drinking alcohol a sin? No. Okay. Can it be? (laughs) Yes. Do we know that for sure? Yes, we do. We can idolatrise all sorts of things. Now, I I, I don't know if you remember, or you probably, if you mix with non-Christians a fair bit, you hear them talk about alcohol in a way. And, like, it becomes this fulfilling thing that's going to happen after work, immediately after work. And my night is going to be absolute bliss because when I get home, I can't wait for a drink. And then when I have this drink, there's going to be this great and pure pleasure and life is going to be sweet and the weekend is going to be just full of it and nothing can beat that alcohol. That's worship, isn't it? That's more than just... uh, you know, I'll have a drink to relax. That's not that. That is a, a worship. It's putting a hope. It's putting a fulfilment in something which can never carry the weight of it. And then what's retirement going to look like? Well, I can picture myself. I'm on a Hawaiian beach in a deck chair. I've got my beer and my pina colada and my blah, 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 whatever else. And I'm sipping away, eternally happy. I don't think I'll ever age. I'll just sit there. Yeah, I'll never get bored with it. Yeah, I won't ever get sunspots. Um, that idol, by the way, has to be served. You have to put a lot of time and effort into getting that idol. You have to serve it with love and devotion. Sorry, I'm not having to go to alcohol today, but, but we, um, we planned, as you know, we've had a couple of family weddings in the last couple of years. And at one of those, we had to we made a deal with a buttload that we they gave us this alcohol really quite cheap, which is going to be for the wedding. And they said, now you pick it up at 8:30 on this particular day in Toowoomba at the bottle shop. We got the time wrong. We got there at 8:30. 
So here we are, standing outside a bottle shop at 8.30 in the morning, waiting for half an hour for the shop to open. You'd think that would be a fairly lonely place. Wouldn't you think that you'd be the only ones there half an hour early waiting at a bottle shop? That is not the case. There was an increasing lineup of people who came with shopping trolleys and carts and all sorts, and I'm not talking about people who were getting ready for weddings or were buying for their establishment. By the time it opened, half hour later, there was a whole crowd of people and they opened the doors and there was a rush. Like, it's not going to run out, people. The shop is full. Very devoted people. If uh, you worship good looks, you will put a lot of devotion and effort into that because it will be fulfilling. You know, if I look good, and I forgot to have a shave this morning, so I'm sorry about that, everybody. I know you're thinking, he doesn't look so good. Now, if you look good, everybody's going to love me. Life is going to be sweet. I'm going to feel good about myself and, and just, what a lot of rubbish. Yeah. So people drink roids or whatever so that they can buff up. That'll bring fulfilment, won't it? And, and, and ladies, or possibly men too now, inject their faces with poison to make the wrinkles go away for a few months. Yay. Right? I'm saying this. You've got to serve idols. You've got to put a lot of... If it brings a bit of pain, well, it's worth it in the end. You might look like Puffy the Clown, but that's okay. You've got to serve idols. It's not worth it, by the way, because idols are futile. Yeah? You put all this into them and you'll end up disappointed. Or the word is, as we've often said, disillusioned. If you're disillusioned with something, it's because you trusted in an illusion. It wasn't real anyway. You get it? So what I'm saying, this is good news. If you've had your dreams shattered... If you've had all these hopes in whatever it was and they've been shattered, well, good, because they never would have given you what you wanted anyway. They don't pay off. Idols don't. They promise the world and they give you nothing. Okay? They always fail you. Even if you get them, they will still fail you. Because they can't give what worship for only God can give. Do you get that? So sometimes as Christians, we can think as long as we don't do the thou shalt nots, then the thou shalt will all be good. But the trouble is that many of those become idols in themselves. Many positive things like family, like sex, like children, like work, like holidays, possessions, money, knowledge, wisdom, security, healthy living, good looks. And, of course, one of the great idols that we ache for in our life is control. Wouldn't you love to be in control? How much of your life, just think about it, maybe not now because you're listening to me, how much of your time do you spend putting things in place so you have control over your children, your security, your future, your this, your that, right? You don't have control over your life. Do you know that? Your life is in God's hands. 
Every now and again, something horrible happens and it shakes you and then you realise this truth. I must trust in God. I can't trust in me. My life is not in my hands. Nothing is. If you think that it is, then you will spend so much time creating this secure, safe life which you just can't pull off. You can't worship idols. You've got to love the prosperity gospel, don't you? You know what the prosperity gospel says? It says that if you do things right with God, he will serve your idols. <laughs> How about that? God worships your idols? It's disgusting, actually, when you think about it, isn't it? Yeah. You know what? strange thing is, as human beings, is that although we are often overtaken by idolatry, we find it very difficult to recognise those things that we idolise. We don't see it ourselves. We're blind to it. Actually, probably more the Bible would say we are blinded. We're blinded to the fact that they're objects of worship. We struggle to identify them. Don't worry, other people around us see us. They see what we're worshipping, but we find it hard to see the way that we love and serve stuff. And often a person will play down uh, that we were sitting at a campsite on Fraser Island and there was these uh, uh, party animals next door to us and they were sitting around having playing drinking games and, and one of them said... What is something you really, really love or something like this? And, and uh, one of them said, well, he, he loves pokies. And he said, I don't love pokies. I just enjoy them a real lot. <laughs> and it's like... <laughs> and uh, that's often what people say. You, if, if someone loves money, they'll say, and they have lots of money, then they'll say, oh, yeah, but I could do without it. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I'd be happy without it. Yeah. No, no. You see, idols bring deceit. It's dis- they're deceitful and they trick you. And so you don't recognise them. And as I said before, also idols make promises to you that you know they really won't. Do you really believe that if you get you know, a 1962 Ford Mustang that's painted red and stuff that it'll bring you full fulfilment in life? Yeah, well, it's not Holden, so it's better, but <laughs> no, no, no. Actually, no, the deceit of it says, if I have this thing, my life will be fulfilled. And so there's this deceit, which comes from the evil one, and the devil says, get lots of money, have lots of pleasure, you'll have lots of joy, you'll have lots of freedom, you'll have security, you'll have rest, you'll be loved. You'll have time, you'll have inner peace. That describes what rich people's lives are like, isn't it? They're just so relaxed and fulfilled and contented. Is that what rich people are like? And money says the great promise of money is you'll be in control. And you're not. Jesus told a story about that, didn't he? Remember? The, um, the illusion of uh, the barns and the bigger barns? Yeah. He said... This is Luke 12. And the man said, this farmer, he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build big, larger barns. And then I will store up all my grain and all my goods. And then what? And I will say to my soul, soul, 
You have ample foods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. That's what he said. I'm just saying, to myself, oh, just relax. It's all going to be good. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you prepared, whose will they be? Will they be for your children? Maybe. They'll probably squander them too. Who knows? So, Jesus says, is the one who lays up treasure for himself and not rich reward towards God. And sorry, and is not rich toward God. You see, the, the idols promise ample years, relax, eat, drink, be merry, but they don't pay off. They don't have control because full tonight, in other words, Tonight you'll die. That will happen to us one day, on a day we don't know. But our soul will be required by God and we will present ourselves before him. The one who lays up treasure for himself is not rich towards God. If you are worshipping the things of yourself, you are not rich towards God. Do not seek treasure for yourself. Do not worship and serve yourself, but lay up treasure in heaven. Lay up treasure towards God. Lay up treasure of things that are valuable. Like love. And worship for him. So, I just want to... Sorry, I've I've hammered this point a bit. But if you do want to identify your idols, I'll just give you a couple of things to think about. Just say you don't realise. But firstly, understand this. The heart is good at deceiving. Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So don't trust your own heart and your own thoughts and your own feelings and your own leadings and your own, if it feels good, it must be good. No, don't don't, don't trust that stuff because your heart's deceitful. Obviously, what do you do? What do you love? What fascinates your mind and heart? What do you think most about when you lay on your bed? What is that? What, what do you make plans towards? What are those things? Just think about those things. What is the thing that you will defend with anger when someone confronts you on it? That's probably heading towards idolatry. Do you understand? Because you've got to defend something which is undefendable. What is the thing you worry most about? That'll often be idle because you're not trusting God with them. The good thing is, as believers, the Holy Spirit exposes our idols. He comes to us and he shows us. And sometimes he has to, again, shake us up a bit. But um, when he does confront us with our idols, and maybe, maybe that's happened today, I don't know. But when he confronts us with our idols, you've got a choice. Live rich to your idols and poor to God. They will, be, they will be shown for what they are eventually anyway. Or give them up now and live rich towards God. But in the end, all true Christians will have idols exposed and removed. That, that's how it goes. Remember, Jesus confronted that rich young ruler. And he said, uh, you know, the, the rich young ruler wanted to obey the things of God. He wanted to be religious. What must I do to receive salvation? Hey, he wanted to be saved. And uh, Jesus said, obey the commandments. He said, I've done this since I was young. 
And then Jesus said, oh, one more thing. And what Jesus was doing by saying one more thing is just putting his finger on this man's idol. Give up your money. And he went away sad because he had a lot of money. In other words, what he, he said was, uh, I refuse to put my riches in God because I think that my riches in money are, worth, are a bit more safe, a bit more secure. They're going to come through in the end better than God will. That's a great idolatry. Okay. Good news for people whose hearts are idol factories. In the Old Testament, God gave them the law, which I said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind and strength, don't worship anything else. And then, very soon after, they made the gold calf. But in between that, God already made a provision for how they could deal with their idolatry. It was called the tabernacle, the meeting place. The place where you'll come and have a sacrifice offered and then your sins would be forgiven so that you could meet with God and worship him purely because you have no sin. God made a way before the problem came. And the New Testament tells us that Jesus, the word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. Jesus became the new meeting place where we could be restored. In fact, when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, he spoke of a time, he said, when you will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. A time is coming, he said, where your worship will be right, where you'll get it right. That time's coming. Now, when did that time come? It came at the cross. Okay? It came when the Spirit came immediately after the cross and began working in people's hearts so that their idolatry would be, at the cross, cleansed. And through the Spirit, they could walk in holiness. Ezekiel 36 says this, uh, this promise of the new covenant. He says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you to your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all the idols, I will cleanse you. When Jesus comes, when he dies on the cross, he will cleanse you from all your idols. Isn't that good? So if you're sitting here thinking, gee, I've got some stuff. Christ alone will cleanse you from your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart. Uh, give, remove your start. I'll remove a heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my Lord. But the Holy Spirit will come into us and drive us to obey the laws of God. He will drive us to put aside idolatry. So if you have in your mind now that you have idols that are getting in the way between you and God, if you're living rich to idols and poor to God, then that's good news that the Holy Spirit's showing that to you. Now drop him and walk in his ways. Walk, live rich towards God. Worship him. The cross has purified you completely and made you soft and new and God has made a provision for you to walk in it in the power of his spirit and he will keep you in that. 
right? It's like God is taking us and driving us and pushing him one, us one way. When we take up idols, it's like we're fighting against God. It's never going to last long, is it? Seeing that he's all-powerful and all that and all-knowing. What I'm saying is this is good news. Number one, that he's purified you. Number two, that the Holy Spirit is working in you and driving you towards purity. And even better news is this. One day you will be completely free from all your idols. The day will come. The Revelation speaks of the gathering of believers who are without sins, who are wearing robes of righteousness, who are bowing down and worshipping God. Well, that is going to be us. One day... All of this mess of idolatry, we won't even desire it. The sinful nature will be gone and everything we'll want will be God. And we'll be happy with him forever and we will never ache for anything else to take his place. Do we long for that day? I long for that day. Yeah. I hate the sinful nature in me which pushes me to worship other things and put my trust in other things. But I'll be glad when it's gone. And I know that Jesus has cleansed me once and for all. And I know that the Holy Spirit will keep on purifying me from idolatry. And so I could finish this talk quite simply with the last words of John in 1 John. Dear children, keep yourself from idols. I'm going to pray. Father, if we were to be honest with you, Our hearts are pretty messy sometimes as we worship all manner of things which are not you. We just want to own up to that and confess that it's true. Each of us in different ways. And we don't want to say this lightly. Our idolatry is horrific. It is terrible and it's abhorrent to you. And we confess that. We confess it knowing that there's nothing really that we can do about it and that we have no hope of overcoming. We confess it knowing that Jesus has purified us and we thank you for Jesus who has purified us from all our idolatry. We thank you for the cleansed new heart of flesh that he's given us. And Father, I pray that you would teach us by your spirit to put aside idolatry again and again and to walk rich towards you. And Father, we thank you that you alone are the one who comes through with your promises of contentment and satisfaction and joy and peace and life. That as we worship you, we will never be let down. As we worship you, our lives will be fulfilling and joyful right to the end. And that we will receive the eternal life that you've promised us. Remind us of this at times when we seek after lesser gods. And we praise you and thank you for your love, for your mercy 
and for your grace given to us when we were undeserving. In Jesus' name. Amen.